After you put your psalm book away, please get your Bible out and make your way back to where our scripture reading came from this morning in the 27th Psalm. We're going to read several psalms in a few minutes, so it may be helpful to go ahead and just get yourself in the psalms at the 27th Psalm. I'm very excited about our gospel meeting that will be starting a week from today, Lord willing, with Brother Jordan Shaw. So excited about that. Hope you are making plans to support that effort. It's going to be a spiritually fruitful time for us. Many of you know, many of you know that I recently returned from a gospel meeting myself. I returned from a from doing a gospel meeting in my hometown of Nacogdoches, Texas. I was with the Stallings Drive Church of Christ for five full days. That allowed me the opportunity to spend some time with my grandmother. I was actually able to stay with her, my grandmother who raised me in East Texas, the entire week of the meeting. That means that each night I was able to sleep in the very room that I occupied as a child. And that was, that was pretty cool. That brought back some pretty good memories. In fact, one memory that I was reminded of pretty quickly was just how bad the ants are in East Texas. <laughs> Whenever I would walk outside barefoot or sit in a lawn chair or just lay on my, on my bedroom floor to read and study and kind of go through my lesson each night, I would, I would always feel some bite me. I would always feel a, a bunch of ants biting me. A bunch of ants were having them a good old meal of Sean Jeffries. And to an East Texas boy like me, I'm used to that. That's not really a big deal. Ants are not really a big deal. Ants don't frighten me and scare me like frogs, snakes, and spiders do. But I'm going to tell you something. I have changed my mind about that recently. I have changed how I view ants over the past few days, now that I have seen a pretty good photo of how an ant looks close up in the face, I will never, ever see them the same way again. And let me just ask you, you do you know what I'm talking about? Have you seen that photo? Have you seen that close up photo of a carpenter ant that was taken by a Lithuanian photographer that has gone viral over the past few days, and don't worry, don't worry, I'm not gonna put it on the slide. <laughs> I was debating as to whether or not I should put it on the slide. I talked with Janicia about it, and I decided to be safe then, sorry. I'm not gonna be responsible for you or your kids or your grandkids having nightmares tonight. You can Google that on your own time. Just don't Google that right now on God's time. I'm not gonna show you that ant on the slide. All I will tell you is this photo, this real photo of an ant, doesn't look like something you would see in a kid's movie. It doesn't look like anything in a Disney, Pixar, or DreamWorks movie. Instead, it looks like something straight out of a horror movie. It is horrific. It is frightening. It is hideous. It actually looks like a monster or a demon. It has forever changed how I will see and perceive ants and I wonder, I wonder if that same kind of thing needs to be done with God. 
I wonder if some people, maybe even some Christians, need to change how they see and perceive God. I wonder if some people need a closer look at God. In fact, let me just ask you this morning, how do you see God? How do you view God? How do you perceive God right now in your life? I mean, do you see and perceive God as mean and angry and, and someone who is ready for you to mess up in your life right now? Because he's just ready. He's just ready to throw you in hell. Do you see God as someone who's so holy and so powerful and so awesome and so amazing and far above us that he really doesn't want anything to do with us? He, he really doesn't care about us. He really doesn't concern himself with our problems. He has, he has far bigger fish to fry. Do you see God as something like a spiritual boogeyman? Do you see him as someone that we should be terrified by all the time and as someone who is against us instead of for us? And don't misunderstand. Don't misunderstand. God certainly should be feared. And God certainly does get angry about sin and he punishes sin. And God is certainly holy and powerful and so, and so far above us that we can't begin to possibly imagine that. No doubt all those things are true, but listen carefully. If we believe, if we believe this morning that God is out to get us and hurt us and he's unconcerned and constantly trying to trip us up in our lives, then we need to think again. We need to take a closer look. We need to get a more complete look at what the Bible actually tells us about the one true and living God. And so I want to read several passages to you this morning. We're going to start in the 27th Psalm. We're going to read several Psalms as we begin this lesson. And in Psalm 27, in Psalm 27, we're going to look at the last two verses of that Psalm. And there David says this. He says, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord to be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. I want you to go now to Psalm 34. We go to Psalm 34 and verse 8. In Psalm 34 and verse number 8, David says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Psalm 100 now. We're going to go to the 100th Psalm and look at verse 4. And Psalm 100 in verse 4, the Bible says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. Psalm 107 in verse 1. Psalm 107 in verse 1, the Bible says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Let's go to Psalm 145 now. Psalm 145, beginning with verse 7, and Psalm 145, beginning with verse 7, they shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness. 
and will shout joyfully of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great in loving kindness. The Lord is good to all and his mercies are over all of his works. Let's get a couple of New Testament passages in this. And remember what Jesus said to the rich young ruler. Do you remember Mark chapter 10 in verse 17? As we go to Mark the 10th chapter, and the scripture says in Mark 10 in the New Testament, in verse 17, as he, referring to Jesus, was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? There is no one good except God alone. And then one more place, Romans the 8th chapter. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 28 and verse 28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for the good to those who love the Lord, for those who are called according to his purpose. Do you see, do you see what all of those verses are telling us about God? Do you see the common thread that kind of weaves its way throughout all those verses? Do you see how in all those verses the Bible is emphasizing to us over and over again? It is emphasizing the reality, the fact, the amazing and wonderful truth that God is good. God is good. Let me ask you something. How often do you think about that? How often in, in your life do you think about the goodness of God? How often in your daily life do you think about that? How often when you are gathered together with other Christians in a place like this, do you think about that? I submit that if you don't, if you find yourself not thinking about this often in your life, could it be? Could it be because you don't know why? Could it be because you don't know what? makes God so good. Why is God so good according to these verses? Well, one reason why God is so good is God is good because he blesses. Because he blesses all people. Because he blesses all people all the time. Isn't that what we saw in Psalm 145 and verse 9? In Psalm 145 verse 9, the psalmist says, the Lord is good to all. When the Bible says the Lord is good to all, it means that the Lord is good to all people. It means that the Lord is good to all people all the time. It means that the Lord is good to all people all the time, regardless of whether or not they believe in him and serve, serve him and love him and obey him. And this can be seen in how God provides blessings to all people in their daily lives. Go back to Psalm 145 again, please. Remember in verse 9, in verse 9 of Psalm 145, the psalmist says, he said that the Lord is good to all. But then we go down to verse number 14. In verse 14, it says the Lord sustains all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down the eyes of all. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Notice how the whole creation, the whole creation is dependent upon God. The ant is dependent upon God. 
the lion, the tiger, the bear, the sea creatures, the believers, the unbelievers, all things are dependent upon a good God. God has ensured that all things have what they need to be sustained and to survive in everyday life. Jesus makes that point in Matthew chapter 5. Go to the Sermon on the Mount, please, in Matthew the 5th chapter. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, and in verse number 43, in Matthew 5 and verse 43, Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, Love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who's in heaven. For he causes his son to arise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. Notice how when telling us why we should love all people, which includes even our enemies, Jesus says we need to be willing to do that. Well, because God does that. Because God does that all the time. God loves all people all the time. God expresses kindness to all people all the time. God extends blessings to all people every single day. Every single day, billions and billions and billions of people across the globe experience the blessing of the same sun and the same moon. And they're able to see beautiful stars and beautiful sunsets and breathe air and eat food and drink water and experience rain and see beautiful mountains and oceans and rivers and lakes. And they get to experience God's blessing of family. They get to experience the blessing of marriage. And raising kids and playing with grandkids and great-grandkids. They get to enjoy the benefit of a car and an airplane and an iPhone and an iPad that was invented from the mind of a man whose brain God created. They get to enjoy pets and hunting and fishing and camping, all because God created these things for them to enjoy. Because God is so good, every living thing on the planet gets to experience good things as I speak to you right now. Every living thing gets to experience blessings that far too often we take for granted. God is good and we know he's good because he blesses all people, whether they are believers or not, all the time. And he's also good because he actually considers us. He's actually mindful of us. He actually cares about us, even though he's so far above us and so much greater than us. The Apostle Peter makes that point in a passage like 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6, Peter says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all of your anxiety on him because, well, because he cares for you. God cares for, for me. He cares for you. Really? Go to the eighth psalm. Go back to the psalms again, to the eighth psalm. And we listen to what David says here in the 8th Psalm, in Psalm 8, a beautiful psalm, one of my favorites, beginning in verse 3, Psalm 8 and verse 3, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him, and the son of man that you care for him, yet you've made him a little lower than God, and you crown him with glory and majesty. 
Notice how David ponders on the fact that even though God is so great, even though God is the creator and the sustainer and he's all powerful and he's sovereign and he's perfectly holy and he has the ability to squash us like ants at any time he desires, he still cares about us. He's still mindful of us. He still values us and he even wants to have a relationship with us. What kind of God would desire such a thing? What kind of God would desire a relationship with such weak, feeble, and sinful creatures like us? What kind of God would make us just a little bit lower than the angels? What kind of God would crown us with glory and majesty? What kind of God would actually let us talk to him? What kind of God would allow us to pray to him at any time we desire throughout the day, and we can have confidence that he will always make time to listen to what we have to say. I've told you this several times before, but I'm going to say it again without apology. We couldn't do that with the most powerful man in this country right now. We couldn't do that with the president of the United States. Look, I don't care. I don't care how you personally may feel about the current president. That's your business. But the fact but the fact of the matter is, whether you support the current guy or if you support the guy who lost the last election, neither of those guys care about you like this. Neither of those guys is willing to give you this kind of access. Neither of those guys is willing to grant you a personal conversation with them in the next 24 hours if your life depended on it. Every president has a select group of people that they listen to and allow to talk with them and hear from them, and we're not in that circle. We're not on that list. We're not imp that important to those guys, but we are that important to God. The Bible says that God actually does care about our problems. And even as the creator, he allows us to talk to him and he promises to listen to what we have to say at any time during the day. In fact, not only does God know us and care about us and allow us to talk to him at any time we desire, God is also so good because he actually also talks to us. He, he, he speaks to us. He also allows us to know him on a very deep, personal and intimate level. This is one of the great blessings of having a Bible. I mean, you got a Bible. You got a Bible in front of you right now. And do you understand, do we understand just how much of a blessing it is to have a Bible? Do, do we understand just how much of a blessing it is to have in front of us right now, either paper form or digital form? We have a Bible in front of us, a book that actually comes from God, a book that tells us who God is. A book that tells us about God's nature and about his identity, a book that tells us about God's love for us and about Jesus and the work of Jesus and about sin. 
and about the consequences of sin and about how to avoid sin and about how to receive forgiveness for our sins. Only a good God, only a good God would give us a book like that. Only a good God would actually go through all the trouble of giving us sacred writings and ensuring that those writings are preserved. Only a good God will give us his word so that we can know him and believe in him and gain access to having a relationship with him. In fact, the path that God has given us to give us access to a relationship with him is found in his son, Jesus the Christ. It's found in the Messiah. The very son of God, John 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father but through me. Jesus says he's not just a way to heaven, but he is the way. He's the only way to heaven. John also says it this way in 1 John 2 and verse 2. Jesus is the propitiation, the atonement, the one who appeases the wrath of God. He's the propitiation for the sins of all. And then Jesus said, and Brother Chad made reference to this verse this morning, a powerful passage that we never need to act like we got down so well, we don't need to hear it over and over again. John 3 and verse 16, for God so loved the world. The world includes everybody in this room, everybody you see right now, everybody you saw if you watched a ball game yesterday, everybody in that audience, Everybody you see at the airport, everybody you saw as you drove to this church building today, everybody in your neighborhood, your neighbor you waved at this morning as you were on your way to church and they were out there watering their grass, whatever. God loves everybody. He loves everybody. He so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Notice how Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's goodness. Jesus is the ultimate expression of just how much God loves us and how much, how much God values us and how much God wants us to be saved. Let me tell you something. Janice and I are blessed to have two beautiful children. One is sitting there. One is sitting by her mama. We have two children. And you know I love my children. And you know I would do anything for my children. I was the first one that held them. First one that kissed them. First one they saw when they came to this world. I've invested a lot of myself into my kids. And I want you to know something. I want you to know something. I don't mean this in an ugly way. But if there ever came a day when your salvation depended on them being tortured and suffering and dying, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to be in a lot of trouble. I'm not willing to sacrifice my kids for anybody, for anybody, but God. God was willing to do that for us, wasn't he? God was willing to give his son for us. God was willing to allow his son to leave the glories of heaven to come into this garbage dump called earth and be rejected and mocked and ridicule and die on a cross. God was willing to allow his perfect and precious son to die on a cross at the hands of evil men because he wants us to be saved that badly. 
He loves us that much. He is that much on our side. In fact, this brings us to another thing that makes God so good, and that is not only has he provided us a path to be saved through Jesus Christ, but God actually allows us to go to heaven. Think about that. Think about that for just a second. God actually allows us the opportunity to live with him in his house. I want to ask you a question. Do you want to go there? You want to go to heaven? You want to go to heaven? I know you want to go to heaven. You wouldn't be here this morning if you didn't want to go to heaven. But maybe a better question is, why do you want to go to heaven? Why do you want to go to heaven? Why do you want to be in this place? What's the best thing about heaven? I mean, is the best thing about heaven the fact that we get to reunite with our spouse and our kids and our grandkids and our friends and our brethren who have died in the Lord? Is that the best thing about heaven? It's the best thing about heaven, the fact that we get to experience eternal happiness and bliss. It's the best thing about heaven, the fact that we don't have to experience these problems anymore that we experience while we live on this earth. Are those things the best thing about heaven? Not according to the Bible. Not according to the Bible. I want to ask you to go to Revelation 22. I believe, in my view, that this is giving us a glimpse of what heaven's going to be like. And in Revelation 22, I'm just going to read five verses here. Revelation 22 in verse number five. Revelation 22 in verse five, the apostle John wrote these words. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of his street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Verse 3, there will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his bondservants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will no longer be any night. They will not have need of the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. Notice how the best thing about heaven is not the fact that we get to reunite with the people we love who died in the Lord. It's not the fact that we get to see a beautiful place and that we get to escape all the problems that are found in this evil world. No, the best thing about heaven, according to the Bible, is our Father is there. God is there. Jesus is there. The Lamb of God, the Lamb of God, Jesus, is in heaven. The Bible says that God is so good, he's so good, that he actually has made it possible for us to be with him in heaven. He actually has made it possible for us to live with him in heaven. He actually has made it possible for us to spend eternity with him in his house. Only a good God, only a good God would do that. Only a good God will provide a path for us to go to heaven through having faith in Jesus and being obedient to Jesus. Only a good God will make the promise he made in John 14 and verse 3 when he said, I have gone to prepare a place for you and I will come again and receive you to myself so that where I am, there you, there you can be also. Oh, yes, God is good. And he's not just good, but he's good all the time. And all the time, God is good. The question, though, is, is how we should we respond to that? 
How should we respond to the goodness of God? Well, I'm going to give you three things real quick and the lesson's going to be over. First, we need to respond to the goodness of God by trusting it. We need to trust it. We got to trust in the goodness of God. I want to ask you to go in your Bible to Genesis chapter 3. Do you remember how in Genesis chapter 3 we read about the sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? God told them not to eat from the forbidden tree. He was very clear with his instructions. But the devil, the serpent, came along and deceived Eve. And she ate from it. And Adam also ate. And they spiritually died. And so we go to Genesis chapter 3. We read verse 1. And it says in verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Eve knows what's going on. She knows what God desires. But verse 4 says, The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a light to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from his fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Do you see what's at the core of Eve's failure here? Do you see what's at the foundation of her problem? Do you see the main thing, the main reason why she was deceived and why she disobeyed God, the main reason why she bought the devil's lie on this occasion was because she didn't believe in the goodness of God. She didn't believe in the goodness of God. She didn't believe that God was telling her the truth. She didn't believe that God had her best interest in mind. She falsely believed that God was holding out on her and trying to keep her from being happy and being truly satisfied. Eve didn't believe in the goodness of God. That's at the core of what's going on there. And the question is, what about us? What about me? What about you? Do you trust in the goodness of God? Do you trust in the goodness of God's instructions? Do you really believe that the instructions that God gives you in this book have your best interest in mind? Do you trust in God's goodness or do you believe that God's holding out on you? Or do you believe that God gave you this book just to make your life miserable, make you unhappy and keep you from pursuing your best possible life? I submit that when we truly buy into the goodness of God, then we're going to trust him. We're going to trust his word. We're going to trust his commandments, his instructions. We're going to trust that he knows what is best and what he says is always the best option for our lives. We should trust in God's goodness. And you know what else we need to do? We need to see God's goodness. We need to see God's goodness around us every single day, all throughout the day, even as I speak to you right now. Doing that will help us keep balance in our lives. It will help us see that while we do live in a sinful world, no doubt about that. While we do live in a wicked world, while we do live in a world that every single day is getting further and further away from God, while all that stuff is true, this world is also currently full of God's goodness. 
the beautiful sunsets we're blessed to see here in the valley. You know what that is? That's a demonstration of God's goodness. The rain we're blessed to get from time to time. That is a demonstration of God's goodness. Our marriages this morning, our children, your grandchildren, your great grandchildren, prayer, the Bible, answers to our prayers, the food we eat, even the ability we possess to make decisions right now in our lives. All of that stuff are demonstrations of God's goodness. And so instead of just grumbling all the time and murmuring, complaining about how bad the world is, we got all these problems in the world right now. We need to challenge ourselves to also see God's goodness. We need to challenge ourselves to see God's goodness all around us every single day, every moment of the day. In fact, in addition to trusting in God's goodness and seeing God's goodness, let me finally say this. We need to be stirred by God's goodness. We need to be stirred by it, stirred to love God, stirred, stirred to serve God, be obedient to God. When you go in your Bible to one more place and we're going to close, 1 John chapter 4. I'm going to read a verse out of 1 John 4 in just a moment. Before I do that, let me ask you a question. Why do you serve God? Why do you serve God? Why do you serve Jesus? Why do you tell other people to serve Jesus? Why do you tell your kids to serve Jesus? Why do you tell your grandkids to serve Jesus? I have a fear. I have a fear that for so many people, for so many Christians, the main reason why they serve God is just so they can avoid going to hell. It's just because they don't want to be lost. They don't want to burn spiritually forever and ever. And don't misunderstand. Please don't misunderstand. I am not saying that we shouldn't be afraid of going to hell. We need to be afraid of going to hell. We need to be afraid of that eternal fire. We need to be afraid of burning spiritually forever and ever and ever. Jesus said that in Matthew 10, 28. There's no doubt that's true. But as we mature and as we grow and develop in our faith more and more, should that be the main thing that drives us to serve God? What about what John says in 1 John 4, 19? Where John says in this very simple but powerful verse, 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. Notice how above having a fear of hell, and we need to have a fear of hell, but above that, the main thing that should drive us to love God and love one another is the fact that God loved us first. It's the fact that God is so good. It's the fact that God expressed his goodness towards us at the highest level by giving us his son to die on a cross. I submit that in addition, in addition to emphasizing and talking about God's judgment against sin, we also need to be emphasizing that. We also need to be emphasizing that aspect of God's character and God's nature. We need to be telling the lost people we're trying to reach that you need to serve God because he's good. He's good and he loves you. We need to be telling our kids as they get up in the morning and they get ready to go to school and they're going out into the world. Hey, you need to make sure you act right. You behave right. You need to make sure that you are behaving right in your life, not just so you can avoid going to hell, not just because God is watching you. And if you do wrong and die in your sins, you're going to be lost forever. No, the main reason why you need to do right today is because God is watching you and he's so good. He loves you. He gave his son for you. 
You don't want to hurt a God who's so good to you, do you? We need to be emphasizing this to the, the, the brethren among us who've left the Lord in the past few months. We need to be trying to win them back for the Lord by saying, hey, you need to come back to the Lord because he's good. And you know he's good and you've tasted of his goodness. And now you've rejected his goodness as his son, Jesus Christ. And we need ourselves to be stirred every day as we can go out into the world to face the challenges of Satan. We need to be stirred to hang on tight and walk with God and serve God with every fiber of our being because he is so good. The goodness of God. That is emphasized all throughout the Bible. That is one of the great realities revealed in the Bible. And again, that reality does not negate the fact that God hates sin. It does not negate the reality that God punishes sin. It is still true that God gets angry about sin and he punishes sin and he brings judgment on sin. No doubt those things are true, but I also want to submit that emphasizing this aspect of God will help us form a balanced view of God. It will help us have a fuller picture of God. It will help us see God for all that he is and not just part of who he is. Will give us a closer look of God. And maybe, maybe there's someone here this morning and you need to respond to that. Maybe there's someone here this morning and you need to respond to the goodness of God. You know God is good. You know that. You know God gave his son to die on a cross, but you haven't responded to it. You haven't responded to the goodness of God. You have an opportunity this morning to finally do that, to believe in his son to believe in his goodness, to repent of your sins and act on that by being baptized in water for the forgiveness of your sins. Or if there's a Christian here and you haven't been a very good Christian, you haven't been responding to the goodness of God very well in your life. If you need us to pray with you, if you need to repent, whatever spiritual need anyone may have this morning, come to the front right now. Let's stand. Let's sing together.